Welcome back to the Ethnos New Brunswick podcast. This week, our series on the topic of good news continues with speaker Yu Kung Chu leading our discussion on the subject of organized religion. Well, we are going to transition now then into our time uh, discussing and pondering some of the scriptures of Jesus. I mentioned earlier as we got started that we believe that the spiritual journey we're on uh, involves a number of things, including this this, uh, time of discussion and reflection on the scriptures of Jesus. And the reason we do that here at Ethnos is we believe that our spirituality is something that is... It's something that requires some outside input. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are plenty of times in my life that if I'm only left to my own devices or my own resources, I can't get very far with a certain thought or a certain idea or a certain plan. But when I get outside input, uh, it's, it's, it's helpful. And so here at Ethnos, we believe that spirituality requires that sort of outside input. And while there are many different options for us, we believe here at Ethos that the teachings and the scriptures of Jesus are very helpful as a guide. And so we invite you to come and explore these, uh, these scriptures that we'll be looking at and get engaged with our discussion. Please bring, if you believe in something else, bring it to the table. We'd love to talk about it together. But uh, for the remainder of our time, we'll be looking at some of these scriptures. Now, if you've been here uh, the last few months, you'll know that we're kind of in the thick of a series called Good News. Uh, We've been talking a number of weeks about how God, when he came in the person of Jesus, brought something that his scriptures refer to as good news. Uh, This was something very political. We've talked about some of the political dimensions of this. Uh, This is also something very personal. And it's also, of course, something very spiritual and religious. And so today we're going to jump into a portion of the scriptures that is going to nail just like really, really hit on a certain aspect of spirituality that is just so crucial for us to understand, especially if we're looking to embrace this good news of Jesus. And so we're going to get started with a question, as usual, to talk about at our tables to help us get ready for this excerpt that we'll be looking at. And here's our question, and this is a question that maybe some of you have some strong opinions about, and that's good. Bring it to the table, okay? Here's our question. What do you, or why do you, or others you know, dislike organized religion? Why do you, or perhaps some people you know, dislike organized religion? Now, maybe some of you here are like, oh, yeah, I'm fine with organized religion. Okay, that's cool. You can just share that with your table. That's great. But maybe others of you, you'll have some problems with that. And so, two minutes, turn to your table partners. Let's talk about this question as we get going. All right, so let's talk about this together. Uh, who wants to share uh, what your thoughts about this, this question, about this subject? What, what are you processing uh, at your tables here this morning? Who wants to get us started? Oh, yeah, over here. We had a lot of good thoughts. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll just share mine because I'm a little bit biased with mine. Um, (laughs) 
but I think everyone should um, at our table. So I think one of my big problems is uh, religion becomes this thing that, uh, so we, we're talking about the good news of Jesus. We want to tell people the good news of Jesus, but we say with organized religion sometimes that you have to do this and this, and then I can tell you the good news of Jesus. Or you have to, do, you have to hear the good news of Jesus and do this and this and this. And it's when it becomes Jesus and that it, it really makes it harder for people to hear about Jesus. Okay. Okay. Let's give it up for Tim. Thank you, Tim. So there are certain uh, behaviors or expectations that get attached to perhaps a, a certain message that people get turned off on. Yeah, okay, great. What else? Why do people, yeah, okay, yeah, back here. Thanks, thanks for moving your chairs. All right, yeah. Rituals, like uh, people go through the motions of doing something for a religion, but uh, I, sometimes they don't even know why they're doing it. Sure. They don't put their heart, like I was saying, like, you know, when in some churches you go and shake hands because it's ritualistic, but, uh, and Carol was mentioning, people don't even look at your face sometimes, like they just, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow, yeah. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. That's good. That's good. Yeah. What else? What else? Yeah. Hi, my name's Sean. Uh, one of the big issues I've had is one of the churches I first went to as a kid, they had a belief that, like, nobody else except for people in their denomination go to heaven. And so that was always something that kind of, like, messed with me a bit. Yeah, let's give it up for Sean. Yeah, no, that that definitely happens. And that, that can be a big turnoff. Yeah, definitely. Anybody else? We'll do one more. Yeah, one more over here. Okay. Um, well, what I said in our group was um, when I think of organized religion, I think of a, an institution um, that looks inward, um, is focused more on hierarchy within themselves. Instead of focusing on God or moving outwards, it becomes inward looking um, and sort of going through the, the stages of that institution become a, a goal unto itself rather than following God. All right, let's give it up for Jesse. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting, right? Um, organized religion, while on one hand, seems like something that should happen to a certain extent. I, Jesse used, used a word that's kind of important, this idea of institutionalizing things. And and institutionalizing things doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a very actually necessary thing, right? Processes need to be put in place whenever two or more people are gathered, essentially. But what happens is very quickly, uh, things can go awry. And I think all of us are aware of organized religion going awry very quickly. I think it goes awry because of the reasons you've brought up. It goes awry because oftentimes we uh, focus on the wrong things. Oftentimes there's like a, a power structure involved with decision making. And, and what happens more often than not is there's a sense of, and Tim, you brought this up, there's a sense of like, hey, there are these certain behaviors that are expected with organized religion. And these behaviors end up either including people or excluding people in such a way where actually there are many people that feel excluded uh, more than not. You know, it's interesting when Jesus was here some 2,000 years ago talking about good news, Jesus actually had a lot to say about 
organized religion. And today's excerpt is going to help us focus in on some of his very, very, very important thoughts about it. One of the main thoughts uh, we have that we'll get started with is that Jesus was really actually not about organized religion. Specifically, he was not a fan of man-made behaviors that went along with certain spiritual beliefs. And so let's take a look at our excerpt. I'm going to read through it. We'll read through it together. I'll give some background as to what's going on, and then we'll go back to our discussion tables to try to reflect on this together. And so uh, it's on the tables. Uh, If you can take a look, we're in this biography called Mark, and it begins like this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. Now, Here we are some 2,000 years ago, so kind of hit rewind, go back 2,000 years ago, and these people called the Pharisees were were the religious leaders of the time, all right? They saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give, give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And Jesus continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their hearts, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. This is a really fascinating story. Let me just give you a quick backdrop just so you understand what's going on. And again, we'll look into... Uh, our tables again and and have a conversation. Back in Jesus' time, there were these people called the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These were religious people who were really concerned 
with how people behaved, especially in their expression of love and spirituality towards God. Now, we can easily read this story and come down pretty hard on these people. Like, oh my goodness, why are they caught with this? Why, why are they stuck in, with washing with, with your hands and worried about ceremonial foods and all these sort of things? And we kind of, can kind of get like judgmental of these people. But the reality is they were doing something that we actually all do ourselves. Because this is what they were doing. And if we can go to the diagram with the shapes, this would be really helpful. What these people were doing back then is they were trying to take certain ideals and desires of God, okay? They knew, for example, that God wanted us to love him or God wanted us to love our neighbor as ourselves, things like that. And so they were concerned that people actually know how to do this practically. And so they were asking the question, well, what does this actually look like in our everyday lives? They were doing this, of course, because of some of the historical situation they found themselves in. The Jewish people had an understanding in that time, some 2,000 years ago, that they were an oppressed people by the Roman Empire because they had strayed from God. They had kind of deviated from following God. And so these Pharisees were really concerned for their own people, like, oh, man, we got to figure out how to keep with God. And so they had these ideals and desires from God. They started asking the question, well, how do I live this out practically? And what happened was they came up with a list of behaviors that turned into traditions that helped them understand how to be practical with this. It's kind of like how we might today, for example, especially with uh, Paola sharing earlier, I think many of us believe that God calls us to care for the marginalized. God calls us to care for the oppressed. God calls us to care for the immigrant, the refugee. We know that big desire of God. Well, what does it look like practically? It could mean, hey, during the Christmas season, the holiday season, we give gifts, we give clothing. It could mean we decide to uh, live frugally in these ways. And, and so all of us come up with a certain list of like expected behaviors that make sense to try to carry this out practically. But this is where it goes wrong. This is where it goes wrong. This is when things become more organized religion than not. What happens is, like these people, we begin to think and focus on behaviors and traditions and start judging others based on those behaviors and traditions. And then we start losing sight of God's ultimate ideals and desires. I mean, how many of us here, let's be honest, have been judgmental towards somebody because they didn't care like you cared for something, right? Some of you are really passionate about the environment. And, you know, every time I pull out my plastic straw, you probably judge me. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Right? That this, that's, that's what's beginning to happen. It's from a good place. But it slowly gets twisted. And we slowly lose focus and emphasize the wrong thing. And so here these Pharisees are with Jesus. They're totally focused on washing hands. It was there for a good reason, way back when. But they've lost sight of what God actually wants. And not only that, if you look at what Jesus does in the fourth paragraph, as Jesus begins to push back at them and be like, man, you guys have lost your focus. Truly, the ancient prophets were right. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And then he tells this story about how they actually not just focused on the wrong thing, 
but they also twist the desires of God to suit their needs. This whole thing about Corbin and dedicating something to God, you you, you caught that in the fourth, fourth paragraph, right? What's going on there is back in that time, there was a strong understanding from the scriptures of Jesus that we needed to honor our father and mother. And what that oftentimes translated in that culture, when you read carefully, is that means we take care of our parents in our old age, in their old age. It's something that I think many cultures emphasize. Now, what happened, however, was that the Jewish religious leaders would kind of come up with a caveat. And they would say this, well, yeah, you should take care of your parents financially in their old age, but if you dedicate anything to God, calling it Corbin, and what they had in mind was finances and property, if you dedicate it to God, well, it doesn't have to go to the parents because it's dedicated to God. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing, though. Who was making this rule? The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Where was that dedication going? It's going to their pockets. Right? And so these religious leaders twisted God's ideals to suit their needs, to take care of themselves. And here's the deal, right? We can be really judgmental of these people. Let's be honest. We kind of do the same. I mean, when was the last time, let's be honest, that you twisted something that you probably knew wasn't exactly right? But you said, you know what, I, yeah, I can rationalize this. No, no, this, this is actually helping the bigger good, right, the common good. It's, and, and, and then before we know it, we're actually a little bit off track. I mean, how many of us lied this week? Just to be honest, how many of us lied this week? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, <laughs> I have a feeling that many of us probably fudged on something with the truth this week. And we rationalize it pretty easily, right? That's no big deal. Hmm. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the interesting thing, right? Jesus is here trying to help us experience true spirituality. He's trying to give us good news on how we can experience ultimate good spirituality and the good life. And while we get really excited about this, that, okay, well, this is good. Jesus doesn't want to focus on these behaviors and kind of these, the way kind of organized religion happens, that's good. And we get excited about that because we've all been burned, right, by organized religion and all those things. But then we, start, then we start asking ourselves, well, but then what? What's left? And what's crazy about what Jesus does here in this story is he takes it even further because not only does he critique organized religion, he ultimately puts his finger on the deeper issue that's, that's messed up, and that's our human heart, right? This conversation about, oh, certain washing and certain foods that are clean or unclean, that's all good stuff, but Jesus wants to make it clear, hold on, yeah, those aren't the issues. These secondary commands aren't the issue, but the primary issue is still there, and the primary issue is the fact that we have these hearts as human beings, and, and when we talk about heart here in the, in the worldview of Jesus, we're talking about that place where we are ultimately defined as who we are. 
It's like that place of decision-making, that place that makes me, me, that makes you, you. The human heart, Yukon's heart specifically, that's what makes me, me. And at that place, the reality is it's not a pretty picture, right? And this, the, the, as the story continues, this final paragraph of what Jesus is saying, he's trying to say, yeah, of course, all these other secondary commandments and and. And, and tasks, they don't make you unclean. You're right. But there's still the human heart that's there. What comes out of a person, this last paragraph, is actually what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And leave it up to Jesus to be super honest with the list of evil thoughts, sexual deviance. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And so the question, I think, as, as this story goes deeper, is now, what in the world do we do now? Because if religion and organized religion isn't the way to God, which I think we'd all agree with. But Jesus is going deeper and saying, well, there's still that issue of our human heart. What do we do? How do we move forward? Before we resolve that together, I want you to turn to your neighbor and for the next two minutes, Process a little bit about what's been said so far. What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? How do you think the resolution ultimately will come? So... What's really exciting, I think, again, about this excerpt is that we, we begin to see a picture of Jesus where Jesus communicates very clearly to us that organized religion is not the way towards God. It's not the way the good life will come into our world. It's not the way the good life will be experienced by us in our everyday lives this list of human-made behaviors and expectations is not the path forward. And so that's some pretty good news, I think, that Jesus did not come to give us yet another organized religion. But the challenge is, of course, well, what are we left with? <laughs> if Jesus takes us deeper and says, yeah, the problem, of course, is your heart, and let's be honest, your heart isn't in a good place, so what next? And this is where the good news gets even better. Because I think what Jesus does is he doesn't come to give us organized religion, but he comes to give us heart transplants. He comes to give us new hearts. And in fact, if we were to look at the ancient prophecies that prophesied about Jesus coming into our world, and we've listed some of them in your extra study notes, one of the most vivid prophecies from about 500 years prior to Jesus' coming was from a person named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel said it very clearly. Through God, Ezekiel said, you know, 
here's the reality, humanity. You can't follow God anyway. You've been messing up your whole existence. And, but there will be a time when God will come and he will purify you. That language of purify, purification is in this passage, isn't it? He will purify you, and what he will do is he will take your heart of stone out and put in you a new heart. He will also put his spirit in you so that you can actually do what God desires. And what, we, what is amazing is as we read the life and teachings of Jesus, Jesus does that exact thing. He talks about how he's here to purify people, how he will give his spirit in him, and how he will give his heart to people. But here's the deal, and this is where it gets kind of crazy. How do heart transplants happen? Somebody has to die first, don't they? Before you get their heart? And so Jesus, in order to do the heart transplant, had to go on a cross. He had to die on our behalf. And through this great, mysterious, profound work on the cross, Jesus somehow then is able to give us his heart. It's very clear as we continue to look at this good news of Jesus, that this is how it happens. And so this is why here at Ethmos and other places that talk often about Jesus, this is why we always come back to this place of Jesus dying on a cross. It's not that we're some morbid people or that Jesus was some morbid person. Jesus was and is all about the renewal of our lives, the renewal of our womb, about giving us a new heart. But it has, to have, it has to happen with him dying first. And so what do we do with that? Well, the reality is when you need a heart transplant, you can't do much about it, right? It's not like you can, like, do it yourself. <laughs> That'd be odd. Uh, your heart's already in trouble, so you can't, like, you know, make it better, you know, you, we need a heart transplant. It has to come from outside of us. And the only way it can come into us, so to speak, is if we surrender. If we put ourselves on the operating table and say, yeah, I, I need a heart transplant. Like today, right now. And so, that's the invitation that Jesus gives us. It's worth asking, isn't it, then, where's my heart today? How is my heart? Do I feel like it's this place where evil seems to bubble up all the time? Could it be I need a heart transplant? And could it be that we believe in an amazing God who's already done the work? to give us a new heart.